Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Welcome to episode 99 of the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Rob Lilly, sitting in for Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. We are at a point now where the cash infrastructure is creaking. We've seen hundreds of ATMs closing. We've seen bank branches closing their doors and never reopening them. Being a diabetic, potentially stranded, retailers not accepting cash in that instance could have ended up sort of quite drastic. If we're going to be a great society, we look have to look after everyone, not just the majority of people. This week, I'm joined by our brilliant money duo, Gareth Shaw and Jenny Ross, to discuss why we're calling on consumers and businesses alike to help us protect cash. We'll hear why it's a necessity that millions couldn't live without, the potentially life-threatening consequences of moving too quickly towards digital payments, and how our ability to withdraw and spend cash has been affected by the pandemic. We are rich. As ever, we're recording on Thursday, and today, the 13th of May, sees us here at Witch hold a special summit to discuss the future of cash. Now, of course, I'm not talking about the money held on debit or credit cards here, but this is the physical banknotes and coins that are still a crucial method of payment for many. Uh, Gareth, I'll get straight to it. Why are we doing this today? We are at a critical point when it comes to cash. As you were saying at the top there, Rob, the way we pay for things has changed radically. And during the pandemic, a lot of the trends we were seeing in terms of a move away from a largely cash payment economy to an increasingly digital and contactless and debit card based payment economy has just accelerated. Mm. The the fact that retailers were given guidance not to accept cash to help limit the spread of coronavirus has forced many people to confront something that perhaps they didn't feel comfortable to do using a contactless card, uh, banking digitally rather than going into a physical branch. We're now at a point where there are a significant minority of people still, despite all of these changes, who are heavily reliant on cash. It's thought that there are two and a half million people in the UK who are heavily reliant on cash and around 10 million people would struggle in a cashless society. But we are at a point now where the cash infrastructure is creaking. We've seen hundreds of ATMs closing um, on a monthly basis. We've seen bank branches closing their doors and never reopening them in the tune of thousands over the past few years. And the concern here 
is that without government and regulatory intervention, uh, the cash market could collapse and that would leave a significant number of people in the UK disenfranchised, unable to engage with their finances in the way that they choose. And that's why Witch has been campaigning on this issue. It's not about installing a, an ATM at the end of everybody's road. We don't want to go back to the good old days of Mr. Manwaring, where you knew your local bank branch manager. We recognise that things have changed. We are on a journey, but we want that journey journey to have oversight. And that oversight has to come from government and regulators. It can't be left to market forces, i.e., you know, private businesses who have got their interests and their, yes, their customers' interests, but also their shareholders' interests. So yes, Gareth, as you've made clear there, this is something that which have been campaigning on for a really long time. Today, we brought together key players from across the industry together to discuss the current state of the cash system, as Gareth, you so eloquently put it there, and what does need to be done to protect it. And they included, actually, the Economic Secretary to the Treasury, John Glenn. Uh, Jenny, what have the government said on this so far? The government has certainly engaged with the issue, which which is really positive. But I think it's fair to say that that hasn't yet quite translated into action that's actually going to solve the problems that we're seeing and the problems that Gareth was outlining there. And that is exactly why we're we're hosting the event today to to really uh, you know push this forward. You, you mentioned there, Rob. It's been several years that we've been campaigning on this. I think it was early. Uh, 2017 that we first covered the possibility of a big reduction in free-to-use cash machines in Which Money magazine. And since then, both cash machine and bank branch numbers have fallen drastically. And our concern, uh, and it's a concern that's shared by many others, is that these numbers are falling much more quickly than the demand for cash among consumers, which, yes, it needs to be said, has absolutely fallen in in the past few years. But uh, cash payments in 2019, the the figure there that uh, industry body UK Finance has put on it was around £9 billion uh, of of cash payments. So it's not, it's absolutely far from uh, from obsolete right now. To give you a a potted history of of recent developments, um, in 2019, that was quite an important milestone and in an independent review was published called the access to cash review and that uh, really highlighted the need for uh, different government bodies and uh, regulators to work together to protect access to cash which was clearly under threat by that stage uh, and off the back of that the um, the treasury set up what's called the joint authorities cash strategy group jacks group which leads the uk's uh, strategy on cash and brings together the payments systems regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority and the Bank of England. So all the parties who have a really key stake in uh, in the future of cash and how, uh, how that's managed going forward. In March last year, so just before um, the the full effects of the pandemic were uh, were becoming clear uh, in in the budget, the Chancellor Rishi Sunak um, said that the government would legislate to protect access to cash, which was a hugely significant development. But since then, obviously, the government has been very preoccupied and um, it hasn't yet delivered on that commitment. 
what what has happened though in in the last month is that the government um, accepted an amendment to the financial services bill, which allows you now to get cash back in corner shops, cafes, and pubs without having to make a purchase. So a small but fairly significant step in in improving access to cash. But we're really clear on this, uh, uh, which as as Gareth has has said is that legislation really is needed to, to to ensure the future of cash and that the millions of people who rely on it um, are not left behind. Yeah, I mean, on that cashback amendment that you mentioned there, Jenny, I spoke to Matt Dickinson. He's from the Federation of Small Businesses. And I asked how businesses can play a part in protecting our ability to withdraw money and how he feels about the changes recently announced by the government. I think it's a really interesting development and potentially a really important one. I think there are a lot of small businesses, a a big, big chunk of them say that cash is still the number one payment method for their customers in store. So I think there'll be a lot of interest in it. I think the main thing is that we need to get the financial incentive for the small businesses that take that on. We need to get that financial incentive right because it's not just the provision at, at the point the customer asks for that cashback. It's the, the time and administration it takes to access that cash in the first place as a small business owner, but also the security implications that come with having cash on site. So very important development, potentially very interesting, potentially of interest to a lot of small businesses, but we need to get that financial incentive right for it to work properly if you say there you know obviously it has to to work properly if if it can be be done in a way that it does work well do you think this is something that could you know potentially increase footfall into into some small businesses and it could actually be beneficial in terms of trade as well absolutely that would be a big selling point for businesses who who are interested in cashback without purchase Now, Jenny, in your answer there, you mentioned the pandemic. And as we know, the pandemic has, of course, affected the way people have been able to spend their money. And Gareth, you mentioned right at the beginning of last year, there were, of course, those fears about exchanging coins and notes and whether that could help spread the virus. That was despite both the World Health Organization and the Bank of England confirming that the risk of this was low. Gareth, is is that something that you saw where you are, you know, at at that point in time? Were shops refusing to accept cash for that reason? I personally didn't see that, but we heard from countless numbers of consumers who had had problems buying essential goods. We're talking about food shopping, buying medicine and trying to pay in cash and being refused. And, you know, at at the the least serious end, that causes some embarrassment to people where they have to trudge out of a shop without their their basket and and go back home and get their debit card if they've got one. Um, But in the worst case, that could have serious repercussions for people if they're unable to purchase their medicine um, Mm. because the only form of payment they have is cash. Look, you can understand the position of retailers at a time of massive uncertainty. You know, there was so little we knew about the virus right at the very beginning and retailers were responding to government guidance to request that customers where possible pay with contactless card to limit the spread of the virus to protect their staff and to protect their customers so you can absolutely understand the drive of that however 
that has had serious repercussions. We already had a problem with the cash market in that um, as usage dwindled, access was becoming more challenging. There was a danger we were sleepwalking into a cashless society. The pandemic hits, we get another wrinkle to the issue, which is access and now acceptance. Um, And that's something that I think wasn't foreseen, really. The pandemic has driven that new wrinkle. And it's the kind of thing that needs now needs ongoing monitoring because, you know, we're living in such a different way. As these restrictions ease and things start to get back to normal, what of our new behaviours, our new ways of living are going to stick and what are going to return? As things have opened up, we've seen much greater de- demand for cash. You know, Link, the, the ATM network, the UK's biggest uh, network of ATMs, has said that they've seen quite a significant uptick in cash withdrawals as um, restrictions have eased. But of the retailers that kind of made that transition to say we're card only or we're mobile phone payment only, have they made that transition back as usage of cash has risen? And that's something that needs to be monitored. And it can only really be monitored um, when a, a regulator has been empowered by legislation. I'm well trained on our key messages on this. Um, as Jenny's saying, you know, um, the laws are in place for a regulator to monitor this to ensure that consumers have the freedom to pay in the way that they want to. On that point around virus concerns and and cash transactions that we were talking about at the start of that answer there, I actually put that point to Matt from the Federation of Small Businesses and asked where they stood on it. It's interesting that you mentioned the, the health aspect. Certainly, there were real concerns for a long time that handing over physical currency was was considerably less safe than, than the contactless route. For the majority of our members and certainly on high streets and consumer facing settings, the significant majority say that they still have customers who want to use cash. Now there is of course a question of, are there factors driving small business owners to becoming cashless when in fact they want to maintain acceptance of cash within their store? And I'm, yeah, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. If, if it's, a question of maintaining access to cash and having to do a two hour round trip every day to go and deposit and withdraw it from your local bank branch or post office. We, we hear member accounts where that is the case, where that is the case, that that's, that's the choice you're left with. And in that situation, it's, it's very, very difficult. And I think very understandable that you would go contactless, not out of, not out of choice necessarily, but out of necessity really. Now, it's interesting there that Matt mentioned the other factors at play, and they included those long round trips to pay in cash, presumably because of the number of bank branch closures and how that's affecting businesses as well as customers. Now, Jenny, how have which responded to this? We mentioned the bank branch closures earlier on. You know, what are the banks themselves saying at this point? Well, bank branch closures are a really huge factor in in this access to cash crisis that has de- uh, really developed over the past few years. We've we've been tracking closures since 2015, and in that time, the 
bank network across the whole of the UK has shrunk by a massive 40%. So um, when Gareth was saying at the top that thousands have disappeared, that that really is true. We went from just under 10,000 branches uh, back in 2015 to now around 6,000. The banks um, would argue, and they do argue, that um, that reflects uh, you know, a marked change in banking habits over that period. Um, and you know that's led to footfall in branches dropping. Um, therefore, closing our doors makes makes perfect sense. That that is true, um, but it doesn't really tell the full story. Um, millions of us have embraced the com- convenience of managing our money through our phone, our laptop, uh, maybe even over the phone, and could, might struggle to remember the last time we set foot in a branch. I, I know that I'm definitely in that uh, in that category. But we can't, j- j- just because we're comfortable with managing our money in that way, doesn't mean that that goes, goes for absolutely everyone. And there is a really significant proportion of customers who still rely on, on that, that bricks and mortar physical banking option. Um, and and there are varied reasons behind that. You know, maybe they uh, don't have the technology or the con- connectivity, or or don't have much confidence in the the security systems behind them. With all of that in mind, with all of those uh, bank branch closures, it, it, it's even more vital that people do have. Uh, alternative ways to to access their cash if they need it and that is why uh, which wrote to all the big banks um earlier in the year to to ask them to commit uh to to continuing their membership of of schemes such as uh link the uk's main cash machine network and and the post office as well the post office is something that banks often point to when they close their doors saying you know you can carry out uh, a whole variety of of day-to-day banking activities at your local post office um and so it's really important that that uh, that maintain that you know uh, remains a, a viable option. The upshot there is that it was fairly reassuring in that um, there was consensus that both of those, both Link and the Post Office, have a really crucial role to play um, in in the, the the near future. But what there wasn't in the response from banks was uh, was an explicit commitment to uh to, to to either scheme until legislation is is introduced and i guess that comes back to the the um tricky issue that we've been been highlighting is that there is no real clarity or um clear timing attached to the government's plan so that's really important so that um everyone who 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 relies on cash has has the confidence that that payment option will Will um will still remain for them, and that they're not having doors shut on them with with nowhere else to go. Now back to that point on cash acceptance. To coincide with today's cash summit, we've launched our cash friendly pledge. Before we hear from one of those businesses taking part, Gareth, can you tell us a bit more about the pledge, what it involves and how others can sign up to be part of it? I can indeed. So our cash friendly pledge is an initiative which is designed to ensure that millions of consumers who rely on cash aren't excluded by the transition to digital payments. Basically, all the things we've just been talking about in the pod. Um the people who the, the organisations that sign up to our our pledge are basically committing to accept cash across their store network, and they'll be able to 
promote their cash-friendly status to customers with a, a special logo that we've created um, for them. Already signed up, we've got Aldi, Asda, Co-op, John Lewis, Lloyd's Pharmacy, Waitrose. Um, they are responsible for four and a half thousand stores in the UK. They've got a combined grocery market share of more than um, 30 percent. And Lloyd's um, Pharmacy has uh, 1400 branches across the UK. So, you know, just with these big kahunas, that is a significant chunk of the market that have said we're absolutely um, going to be committed to cash for as long as our customers want to use it. We've got a growing list of small businesses that have also signed up as well. And, you know, we've been working with um, all sorts of trade bodies for um, that, that represent retailers, large and small, um, to, to kind of push this forward. It's a really important pledge the Bank of England is supporting it as well. You know, the chief cashier, Sarah John, um, told us that the ability to use cash remains vitally important for many people. And by signing up, businesses are helping to ensure that everyone in the UK is able to use the form of payment that best meets their needs. I couldn't sum it up any better than that. So it's a really exciting day for us and great news for the millions of people for whom cash is really important in their daily lives. It is indeed great to have so many big names involved, or as you, again, so brilliantly put it, the big kahunas. Uh, I didn't think that phrase would come up in the podcast today. Uh, but it's it's not just them, as you said there as well. It is the smaller shop owners as well. Uh, one of them is Christine Hope, and I spoke to her earlier on to find out why she wanted to get involved. So I run our little village store and post office in the deepest, darkest south rural village of Longtown in Herefordshire on the English-Welsh border. And we, we tell all sorts of goodies from um, Kellogg's cornflakes through to Rice Krispie cakes via shoelaces, dried mango and smoked salmon. So we really have a lovely eclectic variety in our shop, like puncher repair kits and vine tomatoes. I don't think people, many people think about the impacts of not having cash in society. I think what I would really like to stress is that it allows really young people who can't access a card to make a very small spend with cash without penalising the business owner. So, for example, if somebody just wants to buy a packet of polos or a small Freddo bar and pay by cash, you know, the shopkeeper paying a 1% margin on top of that just doesn't really make economic sense longer term for small value transactions. So that's why I think this isn't an ageist debate. I think it's the reality of a, an element of trade that is really important. And for us, that's what's important is allowing the trade to happen in a cost effective way for us, but also is useful for the person handing over the tender to us. If we're going to be a great society, we look have to look after everyone, not just the majority of people. And because we went a post office a few years ago, they took out the way for um, people to tick a box to say that we knew our customer and that this person, for whatever transaction they're doing, they were known to us. That's gone. And when that went, we now have customers who come into the post office, specifically females and they're older. And they no longer exist. They don't have a passport. They've never driven. Their husband has just passed away and they can't access their money because they want to have cash. The one thing that keeps them going and happy is they've got a bit of cash in their house. They can buy food and they can feel comfortable. 
As you heard there, Christine is very passionate about protecting cash, something we at which are of course delighted about. But here's an example of why it is so vital to secure the future of cash. This is James. He told me how businesses' reluctance to accept his physical money almost led to some fairly dangerous consequences for his health. I was um, travelling back home um, from down south and I actually encountered a a three-hour plus traffic jam. Being a diabetic, and during that time, I'd realised my sugars were obviously going to start to drop lower and I needed to get some food. Uh, I managed to stop off at the nearest, the next available service station. And I I only had cash on me as I didn't believe that, you know, that, that, that to me historically has never, you know, I've never thought twice about, about that. I went to the first restaurant. I'd ordered my food and obviously came to pay uh, with the cash, at which point the, you know, the, uh, the, the cashier obviously refu- refused uh, the cash to their own accepting card. I explained the choice. I didn't have card, and which I had cash, and uh, it was still rejected uh, based on that. Um, I then explained that I was diabetic and my sugars were going lower, and I was into going to hypo, and it was uh, on medical grounds. Um, I, you know, really needed the food, and would appreciate if uh, we could just accept cash in this instance. But unfortunately, it was still refused um, due to their policies. And I checked my blood sugars at this point. And at this point, um, it was my blood sugars were in a hypo. So the next place I went to was a Mexican. And I'd rushed over to the Mexican. And uh, I asked them if they were accepting cash immediately uh, based on my previous experience. And they said no. So again, without fuss, I thought I need to get, you know, I need to sort of get some food as soon as possible. So the next place I looked at was a KFC. And again, I went over to there. The first question I asked was, are you accepting cash? And they said yes, which at that point was a huge relief um, because I was starting to panic just after the Mexican due to, you know, realising my situation. I'm on a service station. It's, it's you know, getting late, I'm potentially stranded. <laughs> Retailers not accepting cash in that instance it could have ended up sort of quite drastic. I think it's so important to hear a story like James's, which really does bring home just how important being able to pay with cash can be for so many people. Jenny, we've also heard other stories, haven't we? We have. And you're, you're right, Rob, it is, it is really important, I think, that these that these stories are shared so that even if you haven't been affected directly, you can see what, um, you know, what, what, what damage is being done by um, what in some cases is a blanket ban on cash by a retailer. You know, it's it's one thing to say that car payments are preferred and many shops have done that in the past year, but it's quite another to refuse to make concessions for people where there's really obvious detriment of of not being flexible as James has, um, you know, so clearly demonstrated there. I I really hope that that particular situation isn't one that that many people have found themselves in. But we've definitely heard many other examples of people uh, struggling with cash payments not being as as widely accepted at the moment. One of those is uh, is a chap called Stephen, who who has a severe visual impairment, which makes it much harder for him to deal with a card and card machine entering his pin and all of that at at a till. Um, And he told us that that recently uh, when he was trying to pay 
in cash at his at his local shop. He was uh, he was refused outright and had to duck out of the shop, put all all the bits that were in his shopping basket back. And said that he found it really quite distressing, which you can totally understand, because you're you're, you're standing there thinking, I've got the money to pay for this. Um, it's a legitimate payment method, but I'm 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 being outright refused. Sadly, that that kind of thing isn't an isolated case. And, and Gareth mentioned earlier the you know the, the sense of embarrassment and inconvenience and stress that we have heard many many people tell us about over the past few months. Uh, we surveyed people at the end of uh, last year just, just just to find out you know, how how commonly this this was happening. And one in three people told us that since the the beginning of the first lockdown in March, they had tried and been refused uh, the ability to pay in in cash at least once. One in three is is not uh, a niche pop, a niche problem. You know the the extent to which you're affected might might vary, but that has emerged as a really uh, significant problem in the past year. And I don't think anyone could have anticipated that when uh, when Rishi, Rishi Sunak in, in the budget in March said that you know, the government is going to legislate to protect cash, no one could have anticipated that fast forward to the end of the year and actually being able to pay in cash would be would be the more pressing concern but here we are that that's where we're at and we need to um we need to make sure that that um, emerging issue is is given just as much attention as uh, as the ability to access cash in the first place Jenny you mentioned the chancellor there and and as we come to the the end of this podcast I'm really interested to just ask you know what further action is needed from from industry, from government, from regulators, and to ensure people's ability to access cash is protected. As we've heard, that is so important. So, Gareth, what do we hope that the Cash Summit that we have held today will achieve? Well, really, our summit today is designed to celebrate the launch of our cash pledge, but it's also to reinforce the importance that of the role that government can play in securing the future of cash. We really need the government now to lay out its timeline for legislation uh, and, and really give clarity to all of the stakeholders that are involved, consumer groups, regulators, and the banking and payments industry so that they can prepare to secure the future of cash because it will be them executing um, what's in that. But let, let's get into the weeds a little bit about what this kind of what legislation would do. It's absolutely vital. It can include provisions for how um, the system can adapt as the cash landscape and consumer behaviour changes. We've seen this sort of radical shift towards mobile and and contactless payments. Um, And, and, you know, we've seen ATMs and bank branch closures. So um, the legislation can can help the, the industry and regulators uh, adapt to that. It could also encompass things like cashback and banking services offered by the post office. It means that we can better monitor where cash cold spots spring up. We can ensure that you know people with particular needs have the right facilities to withdraw cash in place. And this can all be achieved by giving a regulator overall responsibility for cash and ensuring that that is really well placed um, to, to, to help cash-dependent consumers. And in order for that regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority, to have um, the power to do it, 
it will need legislation. For example, post office cash withdrawal services are currently unregulated and, and they will play an increasingly important role in, in giving people access to cash. Um, there's limited regulation of independent ATM providers. They make up a significant chunk of the network. So government needs to write laws to give regulators the power to oversee the cash market and um, and do the things that we really need in order to uh, make cash available for people for as long as they need it. And the important thing to note here is we can make our voices heard on this as well. Jenny, how can we do that? Yes, please do. We would love to hear from from anyone who has an opinion or um, an experience to share uh, related to cash. Just go to witch.co.uk forward slash freedom to pay to find out all of the latest developments on on our campaign and to uh, to pledge your support on there and also um, get in touch with us via our social channels on Facebook on Twitter really the more voices in this the, the merrier and the more pressure we can we can put on all the key stakeholders to to make change happen and to ensure that, that cash remains a, a viable payment method for as long as people need it we are which so that was the podcast as we recorded it earlier on. Now, you might remember that at the time we mentioned that the Economic Secretary to the Treasury, John Glenn, would be appearing at our cash summit. Well, he spoke about the government's commitment to protect access to cash. And in a big win for which, he announced a consultation on legislative proposals, which will be launched in summer 2021. Now, in that consultation, he says that the government are going to be setting out proposals for establishing requirements that ensure both people and businesses can access cash withdrawal and depositing facilities over time within reasonable travel distances. And that consultation will also look at who should regulate those government proposals. In response, Witch's chief executive, Annabelle Holt, added that it is encouraging that the government is taking action to secure the future of cash. This can't come soon enough after years of decline to a system that millions of people rely on. And she concluded, the government will need to move swiftly following its consultation to introduce the legislative proposals needed to protect access to cash, as the system will continue to be under enormous pressure until they are in place. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Witch Money Podcast. If you've got a comment or question on anything we've mentioned today, please do let us know in the comments wherever you're listening to the podcast or on social media. We're at Witch Money. And as always, for more money news and advice, head to witch.co.uk forward slash money. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was produced and edited by me, Rob Lilly, with additional support from Ian Aikman and Kim Carver.